lead right into our worship of Colossians, none above him, none before him. Uh, Praise God. The one that we are going to study this morning is the Ancient of Days. If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to Colossians chapter 1. We are going to finish the message that we began last week, which was concerning Jesus Christ's supreme worth from Colossians 1, verses 15 through 18. And as you're turning there, just to help you remember uh, and help orient you to our study this morning, the book of Colossians is a letter that Paul, one of Jesus' apostles, wrote to a local church that had recently started gathering in the Lycus Valley in what we would call now today modern-day Turkey. Um, And Paul wrote this letter to that newly founded church because one of the elders named Epaphras traveled nearly 1,200 miles to tell Paul, who was currently imprisoned in Rome, some troubling news. That troubling news was this, that certain people had crept into the church there in Colossae and were trying to detonate the lie that Christ is not enough. Sure, Jesus was good, they would say, but if you're really going to be able to live a life that glorifies God, then you've got to have all these special revelations. You've got to have these mystical experiences. You've got to have these external rules and regulations to truly arrive at Christian and spiritual maturity. Jesus is good, but their message was, you've got to move on. And so, moved by the Holy Spirit, Paul writes this letter to those believers in Colossae, and he tells them, do not buy that lie for one single second. The Christian life is not starting with Christ and then moving on to greater things. The Christian life is starting with Christ and staying with Him because He is the greatest. He is the most important, the most significant, the most wondrous reality in this universe. That's what we began to see last week. Everything and all of creation revolves around Jesus. Why? Because as Paul says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. The exact descriptive match of the divine. Jesus is God bearing all the divine characteristics in himself. That is why Jesus could say to his enemies in John 12, 45, Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. He is the invisible God made visible. And as such, Jesus is of supreme worth, towering in preeminent importance and authority over the creation That's in verses 15 through 17 of our passage. Over the church, that's at the beginning of verse 18. And over the consummation of all things, that's at the end of verse 18. Last week we began to look at that first point, that Jesus Christ towers in preeminence over all of creation. This morning we're going to finish that first point and move on into the final two of how Jesus is preeminent over the church and over the consummation of all things. And we have a glorious rich study ahead of us this morning. So with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15, on into verse 18. Paul writes, concerning God's beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, verse 14, this in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him 
all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. This is the word of God, which causes us to know that his rules are righteous and that in faithfulness alone does he ever afflict us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you that it unveils for us the glory of Jesus Christ. This is our greatest need, to see him in all his glory. So, Father, I pray that you would accompany the preaching of your word by the power of your spirit. That even as we sing, you would give us eyes to see his glory from the pages of Scripture that we might be changed from one degree of glory into another. Father, we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is of supreme worth, but we also acknowledge we do not reckon him to be in our lives nearly enough. So strengthen us, Father, in our inner beings to behold his glory once again from the truth of your word. And by your grace, change us that we might become worshipers of the preeminent supreme one, Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we began considering the supreme worth of Christ by studying uh, that God had said concerning Jesus' preeminence over the creation. And by that, God means five things. First, we saw that everything is beneath him. Everything is beneath him. Verse 15 tells us that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. That is, that he is first in terms of position and honor. Jesus is above all things in importance, value, and worth. Everything is beneath him. Why? Because second, everything is from him. The beginning of verse 16 says, for by him all things were created, right? Christ is not a creation. He is the creator. All things were created by him. Everything is from him. And therefore, third, as we saw last week, everything is for him. The end of verse 16 says all things were created through him and for him. Everything comes from Christ. Therefore, all things that exist are for him. Because Christ is supreme over all creation, that means that everything is beneath him, everything is from him, everything is for him. And next, I want you to see this morning that everything is after him. It's the beginning of verse 17, a very important doctrine concerning the person of Christ. Paul writes, and he is before all things. Now, Paul has already talked about Jesus being before all things in terms of importance back in verse 15 when he said that Jesus was the prototokos, right? The firstborn of all creation. He's first in terms of value, importance, and worth. Well, here Paul builds on that idea and that understanding by saying that Jesus is before all things in terms of time. 
Jesus is before all things, time being a thing. Jesus is before even that, before time itself. So Paul is saying here that Jesus is eternally existent. No matter how far back you go in your imagination, you will never, ever, 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 ever come to a point where God the Son, Jesus Christ, was not. This is an important truth because there was a heresy that arose about 250 years after this letter was written that was called Arianism, which stated that God the Father was not always the Father. He became the Father when He created God the Son. Therefore, God the Son did not always exist. In other words, they said that Jesus was not eternally coexistent or co-equal with God the Father. Though this heresy of Arianism, you probably haven't heard anyone going around saying, hey, I'm an Arianist, but you probably have heard someone go along and say, hey, I'm a Mormon or a Jehovah Witness. Guess what they believe? The exact same doctrine. Those are the two fastest growing cults in the United States. And even though the heresy of Arianism was soundly refuted out of existence by the 6th century, it has arisen once again by Mormonism and by Jehovah Witnesses, both of which deny the eternal existence of Jesus Christ. Well, God here says in Colossians chapter 1 that they're wrong. (laughs) Jesus Christ, God the Son, existed before all things, even time itself. Before there was anything, there was Jesus already. 1 John 1, 1-2 says this, In the beginning was the Word, notice, already. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Notice, before there was anything. In eternity past, God, the Son, was already there, eternally existing, communing in deep fellowship with the Father. Again, in 1 John 1, 1, the Apostle tells us that Jesus is He who was from the beginning. In fact, Jesus' eternality was prophesied before he was ever born. And we often celebrate these passages of Scripture and don't even think about them at Christmas time. But listen to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, in which it was prophesied, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be considered among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is, listen to this, from of old, From the days of eternity. Isaiah 9 verse 6 says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and two of the names by which the son would be called was Mighty God and Everlasting Father. I mean, this is what we celebrate at this time of the year. If we're thinking about it, it's not about gifts or decorations or anything else. We are celebrating that Jesus is the eternally existing God, the one who was before all things, who physically stepped into time and space to work redemption for his people. This is what Christmas is all about. Jesus himself testified of his divine eternality in John 8, 58, when he said, Before Abraham was, I am. The eternally present tense, I am. And Jesus reminds us of it again in Revelation twenty two thirteen 13, when he brings the canon of Scripture to a close by saying, I am the Alpha, the, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus is the pre-existent, eternal God. Everything came after him. After, as verse 16 says, he created it. (laughs) So he's before all things. So 
By saying that Jesus is supreme over all creation, that means that everything is beneath him, everything is from him, everything is for him, everything is after him, and finally, everything is by him. Paul says, in him all things hold together. Did you know that the very reality that you're enjoying this morning operates on the basis of a complete scientific mystery? Some people rely totally on science today to explain life, meaning, and everything in it. Well, listen, science can't answer everything, namely why you're not an explosion this morning. Did you know that not a single scientist on planet Earth today who has ever lived can't explain scientifically why everything in this universe does not spontaneously explode this very second? Everything in this universe is composed of atoms, and every atom is composed of electronically charged particles called protons and neutrons. Here's a high school science lesson for you. <laughs> and every proton and electron is composed, furthermore, of quarks and another mysterious phasing matter that's massless. It's a force that scientists don't even know how to describe and have a hard time wrapping their brains around. The closest analogy that scientists have ever said is that uh, the inside of an atom is like lightning in a bottle. But what's interesting is that within the atom, those oppositely charged particles should collapse upon themselves, those similarly charged particles should blow themselves apart, and yet each and every atom known throughout this entire universe is being held together in absolute perfect stability. And we cannot even find an end to this universe, and yet it is all held perfectly together. How? By Jesus. Now, scientists, in an effort to explain this mystery, they don't even know what it is, so they simply have called it intermolecular cohesive force. Makes them sound intelligent, or simply the strong force. I'd like to call it Christ. In him, all things hold together. Christ called every atom in this universe into existence, and Christ holds every atom in this universe together as well. We can be thankful for that because if Christ ever removed his restraining hand, you might as well say goodbye. And actually, one day in the near future, Christ will remove his sustaining power. You know what that's called? It's called the end of the universe. The Apostle Peter describes that day in 2 Peter 3.10 when it says that the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed See, with the intermolecular cohesive force called Christ being removed, his restraining hand removed, the universe will literally explode. And all of those who since Adam and Eve have chosen to hide away in their sins rather than run to Christ in faith will stand naked and exposed before the eyes of him to whom they must give an account. And then after that, according to his promise, God will create a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Until that day, we can be thankful as Hebrews 1.3 states, that Christ continually upholds the universe, how? By the word of his power. When you think that your marriage, that your family, that your nation, or your life, or your world is falling apart, here's a reminder from scripture this morning, it isn't. Your wor world right now is not falling apart. Your world is being shaken by the omnipotent hands of the Christ who holds it all together continually. Christ rules over all. So how about you this morning? Before I move on to the next point, are you holding together? Or does it feel like your relationships, your peace, your life, 
is falling apart right now? Listen, the answer is the same. Come to Christ. Come to Christ, for in him all things hold together. You think your life's falling apart? Well, of course it is, if you've neglected Christ. Jesus is the invisible God, made visible, is of supreme worth, preeminent over all of creation. Everything is beneath him. Everything is from him, for him, after him, and by him. We do not buy into the lie told by the world that Jesus was just a good man, a good moral teacher, a good example. No, he is God incarnate, the preeminent one, to whom all men must worship and to whom every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Jesus is preeminent over the creation. That's our message as Christians. Second, Jesus is preeminent over the church. Look at the beginning of verse 18. Paul writes, And he is the head of the body, the church. You say, that's a boring verse. I want you to know that probably more Christians have shed their blood for that single verse than almost any other verses in Scripture. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Now by saying that Christ is the head of the church, God is making two very important points. First, God is saying that Christ is the life of the church. Just as a body without a head is a useless carcass and a lifeless carcass, so also a church that has lost its touch with Christ is dead also. A church that gets its focus off of Jesus and his life-giving words will be nothing more than a lifeless institution marked by dead tradition, dead worship, and dead people. People who are unresponsive to the commands of God and who are uncaring towards the spiritual state of the lost around them. A church without Christ possesses no message, no strength, no health, no passion, no power, and no beauty. Paul warns of this very danger later in Colossians 2.19 where he says of people who are not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. See, Christ as the head is the life of his church. Therefore, we must cling tightly to him. For as Jesus says in John 15, verse 5, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Christ ought to be the epicenter of every conversation, every action, and every study, and every act of worship that happens in this church. Jesus is our life as the head of the church. Second, being head means that Christ is the authority of the church. Colossians 2.10 later on says that Christ is the head of what? Of all rule and authority. He is Lord over all, even the church. As Ephesians 5.23-24 makes it clear, Christ as head is the one to whom the entire church submits in everything to. Christ and Christ alone. Christ is the head, the authority, the Lord of the church. Now that does not mean that there are no other authorities that exist in a church's or in a believer's life, like parents, or pastors, or presidents, right? Can you imagine how ridiculous, I'm sorry mom, I can't listen to you today, Jesus Christ is my only authority. Yeah, right, good luck, no. 
That does not mean that you have no other authorities in your life other than Christ. But what it does mean is that those authorities, decrees, only wield any authority over your life if they are in accordance with Christ's will and authority. He is the head of the church. And whatever he says goes always, always. Christ is the ultimate authority over the church. Not popes or pastors or presidents. As the church, we cannot listen to personalities. We cannot listen to preferences. We cannot listen to the call of prosperity or pragmatism. As a church, we must listen to Christ and his words alone. He is Lord above all, even the church. History has shown us that whenever the church takes its heart, its mind, and its soul away from Christ and his words, it is always replaced by spiritual authority and empty tradition, by moral apathy, and by spiritual death. Therefore, Grace Chapel, as your pastor, let me encourage you that we must hold fast to Christ not only as a church, but in our own personal lives. Who are you listening to throughout the week? We must hold fast to Christ, who is our head, our authority, our life, as the Father himself testified from heaven. This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Beloved, Christ is the head of this body. Christ is the head of this church. And we must not allow anything in heaven and earth to dethrone him. He must be our focus, our glory, and our all. This is lost in so many churches in America today. If you doubt me, go look online and look at start, start looking at some church websites. You'll see a lot of pictures of attractive people. You'll see all these comments made in the website of community, connection, coffee. Where is Christ? Where are the churches who are holding fast to their head, who are saying right up front, we preach Christ. We preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. Come to church. We preach Christ. See, without Jesus, we have no message. Without Jesus, we have no life. Without Jesus, we have no authority, no power, no hope for the world. Without Jesus, we have nothing. Therefore, he is to be our one focus, our one desire, our one message. I want to encourage you that God is on the move in this world. He is right now all around the world drawing people to himself for his own glory. And those people to whom God is calling to himself have hearts that are crying out with those in John 12, 21. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. I pray that when people come to this church, that is exactly who they will see and hear from. For we have nothing else. We have nothing else but him. By God's grace, may they find him here not as some sideshow, not as some supplement, but as he is supreme. He's the head of his body, the church. Our authority in our life. Jesus is the invisible God, made visible, is of supreme worth, preeminent over the creation, preeminent over the church, and finally, preeminent over the consummation. You say, what do you mean by that? 
I'll explain. End of verse 18. Paul writes this. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Paul starts off this new section by saying of Jesus that he is the beginning. Now that word beginning in the Greek is arche, and it carries with it the idea of an impelling force that begins an entire operation. You could call it the rock that starts an avalanche. And so here we see that Jesus is that rock that starts an avalanche. Paul is making the point that Jesus single-handedly started something of monumental importance. So what did Jesus begin? What is Jesus the beginning of? Well, Paul defines what he means in the next phrase when he says that Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So Paul is saying that Jesus, by his resurrection from the dead, began something extremely important. What did Jesus begin? Look down two more verses into verse 20. And through him, through Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on whether on earth or in heaven. Verse 20 makes it clear that by Christ's death and resurrection, Jesus began the reconciliation of all things. Christ's resurrection from the dead marks the beginning of all things, all things in heaven and on earth, being restored by and to God. See, when Christ rose from the dead, that was a guarantee of something. It was the guarantee of our resurrection from the dead. When Christ rose, we were attached to his victory by faith in him. 1 Corinthians 15, 23 says this, But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then at his coming, all those who belong to Christ. So when Christ was restored to God physically, that marked the beginning of the process in which we would be restored to God physically. And with us being restored to God physically, that is the very moment when you study scripture, all things will be restored to God. Romans 8, 19 through 21 says this, that creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. See, all of that, that universal restoration of all things to God began with Christ rising from the dead. You could put it this way. Christ's resurrection marked the beginning of the new creation. This is why Jesus is of supreme worth. He is the one who began the first creation. He is the one who began the new creation. See, Jesus is Lord not only of creation, he is Lord of the new creation by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus literally began the fulfillment, the restoration, the consummation of all things of history itself. He began it, and he will complete it. Revelation chapter 5 tells us that Christ will take hold of the title deed of the universe. He will take hold of all the timelines of history, and he will bring them all together into one glorious conclusion. Why? 
The answer is given in Revelation 5, 5. For the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. When did he conquer? He conquered when he took on Satan's sin and death and came out the other side in his resurrection. And because he conquered, he can then open the scroll and its seven seals. He can then bring all of history to an ultimate conclusion for God's glory because he alone is worthy. He's the rock that started the avalanche. All of history bends around Jesus. Before Jesus, we have promises made. But after Jesus, we have promises that have been kept. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, All the promises of God find their yes in Him. So Paul has been very clear in these few verses, from verses 15 through 18, that the universe, the church... And all of history itself bends around and bends down to Jesus. Why? That in everything, he might be preeminent. Notice, Jesus is preeminent. He is preeminent over the creation, the church, and the consummation of all things. He does surpass everything else in value, importance, and worth. Jesus is preeminent. But now Paul's closing point is this. Jesus is to be treated as such. That in everything he might be preeminent. He is preeminent. He is supreme in worth. He is preeminent over all creation. He is preeminent over the church. He is preeminent over all of history. So now act like it. Live like it. Talk like it. Love like it. Jesus is over all. What change should it make to your life? Jesus is preeminent. He is to be treated as such. You might have the question, okay, how? How do I do that? Well, first, don't get ahead of yourself. That's what the rest of this letter is about. This letter is designed to teach us how to exalt Christ above all. Because he is above all. Everything is from Christ. Therefore, everything is for him. But second, this first chapter actually hints at how to apply Christ's supremacy to our lives. In verse 23, when Paul writes this, Continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. How do I respond to the supreme worth of Jesus Christ over all of creation, the church, and the consummation of all things? Three applications. If Christ is supreme, then first I must submit to Christ. I must trust in Him as the only one who has the authority and the saving sovereignty to deliver me from my sins and from hell and from condemnation itself and to deliver me unto God, pure and righteous and undefiled before Him. I must submit my life to Jesus Christ in faith. As chapter 2, verse 6 will say later, receive Him. Receive Him who is over all. Bow the knee to Him who is Lord. Submit to Christ in saving faith. Second, study Christ. 
If Jesus is of supreme value and worth, then you should strive to know him more, more intimately and more deeply. As chapter 3, verse 1 says, later, set your minds on things above where Christ is. If he is of supreme value and worth, get your mind off the internet and get your mind onto Christ. Submit to Christ, study Christ, and finally, share Christ. Share Christ, proclaim his preeminence. As Paul says in verse 28, him we proclaim. Paul himself became a minister of him. Jesus is over all, therefore I must share him with all. He is the most important person. Listen, Jesus is the most important person in anyone's life you will ever meet. They just don't know it yet. You must be the one that tells them. So submit to Christ, study Christ, and share Christ this week as the one who is preeminent over the creation, over the church, and over the consummation of all things. For he is of supreme worth. This is the word of God from Colossians 1, 17 through 18, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience to that end as the men come forward for communion this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for showing us who Jesus is. And we acknowledge, Father, that he is over all of creation. Father, we recognize this morning and acknowledge that our anxiety does not bear testimony to the truth. When we are worried or anxious about the things in our life, we are forgetting that Jesus Christ holds all things together as the one who created it all. Father, help us to testify this week by our lives that this universe is not falling apart. It is being driven to an ultimate purpose, the glory and honor of the Supreme One, Jesus Christ. This world is being shaken so that people would run to the kingdom that cannot be shaken, over which Christ alone is king. Father, we pray that we would reflect how Jesus is preeminent over the church this week. I pray that we would not sit down and think, what do I want this church to do? What do I think would be the most profitable? What do I think would be the most uh, purposeful and the most uh, wonderful ideas in my own mind? Help us, Father, not to fall into pragmatism of, well, this was what makes sense to the world. Father, help us to simply be students of Christ and his word and be people of faith doing whatever he says, no matter the cost, as us individually and us as a church. Father, help us to acknowledge this week that Jesus, by our lives, that Jesus is preeminent over history itself. That every development we are seeing on the news today is just reminding us that you have prophesied this of old and you are coming for your own. May we be faithful in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ until he comes. Father, may Christ reign over us as supreme for he is supreme. May he be Lord over us.
as he is Lord over all. We ask this in Jesus' name.